Oh, yes. I mean, that's uh, so worthy of uh, rejoicing, right? Can you catch it? Can you, I mean, can you catch the joy of just, of, of that kind of scene of, of having fresh water? You know, like it is not unusual that a single well would service about 8,000 people uh, who would walk from uh, long distances to get the water. And uh, usually, I mean, these wells are, are all a part of just the, uh, our prayer and commitment to helping uh, bring the good news about Jesus Christ into a village and the surrounding area, but also raise, uh, just kind of raise the standard of living for, for the village, just on something so simple as, as water. But I just, you heard it in, in the video, and I just want to mention to you that really, as life-giving as that water is, and it is truly, it is truly life-giving, there's also the life-giving, living water, Jesus Christ. So it's not just about them having the clean water, although that in itself is like off the charts important, but it's also about them coming to know the living water, Jesus Christ. Because we believe, right, that not only do your bodies need to have like healthy, you know, healthy living, right, and good water, clean water, but your life, your soul, right, your your body, mind, and spirit, everything about you needs what Jesus brings, which is forgiveness and liberation and, and the peace of God into your life and, and healing to the past wounds and all. And, and believe you me, there's all over this globe, including right here, right now, we need this Jesus. Amen? So I just want to thank you. Thank you that as you, as you give into this, as you go, as you pray, as you, as you fund just the mission here at PNC, whether it's like reaching out to schools like we did last, last Friday and the week, uh, week before uh, elementary schools or whether it's going all the way across the globe, whether it's teaching kids here on a Sunday morning or gathered adults like this in the mornings of Sunday, we have this great opportunity of just coming to know the most brilliant, amazing person ever to live and the one who is the world's one true Lord, Jesus Christ. Amen? I mean, can you can I get an amen, right? Believe this. This is so, so much of what this is about. So I'm glad you're here. How many uh, would like to live freely? Right? That's good. Well, about 50%. The rest of us, we just kind of love bondage, you know. <laughs> we love struggles. In our house, we call it, you know, you got strugs. That's what we say in our house. If you're feeling like not too good or you don't think you look very good, you say, in our house, you say you look ratch, you know, like wretched, or we just say ratch, right? Got rat, you know, feel ratch, got strugs. I mean, that's our shortened language about sometimes how it is in life. But Jesus wants us free. So over these next weeks, I'm just going to very specifically lead you into scriptures in the Gospels about the liberating Jesus. I want you in a fresh way, and what I want for you, I want for myself in a fresh way to come to know, to experience this liberating Jesus. He loves to set captives free. He loves to heal the brokenhearted. He does. He loves to put his hand on the places that are raw and sore 
and release healing power into your life. And every one of us can become a, a walking display of the presence of Jesus Christ. A picture of what a life looks like as Jesus begins to transform it. And I, man, I, you know, you could, you could walk around with a hat that advertises or with a sweatshirt that advertises or have certain clothing or drive certain vehicles and all and advertise certain things. But wouldn't it just be absolutely amazing to be able to just simply be a display of what God does with a broken life and now he brings wholeness, liberation, his joy, his peace. I think peace just came on somebody right there. But I pray that will happen for you, right? That his peace will happen in your life and his wholeness, his power will happen in your life. You know, everybody loves a good story. I love a good story. The best the best story, the way to make a really a good story, I think, is to have a God story. I don't say that very flippantly. There are a lot of people who say, yeah, you know, I believe in God and stuff like that. But I tell you what, when Jesus really enters in, when he comes onto the scene, when he makes his home in your life, when you let him in all, into all the broken places within your life, one of the things that Jesus does, he really makes for a good story. I didn't say an easy story. The story is, I mean, in fact, really your best, most epic stories, they're not, the, they're not the easy story, you know. It's not even the story where you know yet that everybody lived happily ever after. It's more like there's been a change in the direction. There was the certainty of despair, but hope has arrived. There's been like a resurrection of sorts, and that is really the story of Jesus. That not only has he been raised from the dead, but he longs. He longs for us to experience his resurrection power in our own lives. Your story is not my story. My story is not your story. Your story is not like another person's story. Although there are certain elements in our stories that are very similar. And the main thing that's central to all of our stories, all of our God stories, is the presence of this real living Jesus. Amen? I just love that you know, I've quoted it before, but out of the message translation, this beautiful uh, uh, way of saying Psalm 18, verses 16 through 19. But God, he caught me. He reached all the way down from sky to sea, and he pulled me out of that ocean of hate, that enemy chaos, the void in which I was drowning. They hit me when I was down, but God stuck by me. He stood me up on a wide open field and I stood there saved and surprised to be loved. God made my life complete when I placed all the pieces before him. God rewrote the text of my life when I opened the book of my heart to his eyes. What a scary thing that is though, right? Just open the book of your heart to his eyes. Let's pray. Father, I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon these words of Scripture that we will read.
that you would take what we say about it and just speak out of this into each one of our hearts. I pray that as there is here in this place, the audience of one, you, O oh God, are the one whom we worship. I pray also that as you speak to us now, it might be as though we each were the only ones standing before you and that you would speak life into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Living free, a long time ago now, as I was pastoring, I thought it ought to be that the body of Christ, the people, the members of the body of Christ, you, And I could minister to each other in such a way that we could actually help each other come into a liberating, healing relationship with Jesus Christ. I know that I I just respect so much the work of our professional counselors. I refer people to professional counselors. But I knew also that there were not enough professional counselors to go around. That there were people that were struggling quietly with issues within their lives that would never, in a way, get them to a counselor, but that who desperately needed the liberating work of Jesus Christ within their lives. People that I would call among us, and all of us have been this at times, the quiet sufferers. In fact, there are times in which we have not suffered so quietly, and our own angst and struggle, our anxiety, our fears, our anger, our bitterness about what has happened in life, these things many times surface within our lives, blow things up around us, create shame in our own existence, and cause us to begin to feel hopeless about our lives. Isn't there a way that we could understand the work of Jesus, walk into the work of Jesus, help each other know how to walk with Christ so that we could actually become those displays of the presence of God, the display of God working within our lives, the display of what God can do with a broken life. Maybe you don't want to say you're a broken life, but maybe you would be willing to say there's a broken peace in my life that is affecting some things pretty important for me. And I'm kind of learning to kind of live with it, kind of uh, negotiate with it, become compliant to it, uh, complicit with it. And, and I'm just kind of learning how to, you know, survive. But it is like shutting down the joy in your life. It is restricting your liberty in loving each other fully. It is constantly harassed by what is not true, lies being spoken against you. It's affecting your relationships. It's affecting your mind (laughs) because you're filled with negative and accusative words to yourself. Isn't there a way that we could be free? And so as I begin to work on, on that and think about that, a number of years ago, I developed back in a previous church that I pastored uh, a prayer counseling ministry. And then when I came here as pastor, like almost over 19 years ago now, I brought that ministry here. And after about four or five years, that began to take off. And there was a ministry developed around that. In that process, we came into contact with a, uh, just like a, a, some material called Living Free that we began to teach. 
And uh, it was so powerful upon people's lives. It uh, had a, it just a way of just, uh, just kind of putting it together in some kind of some form to be able to help us grasp some of the truths that were being said all throughout the scriptures, especially in the life of Jesus. And so this Living Free material, authored by Mike Riches, a a dear friend of mine, um, has uh, become a part, like a lot of our own uh, church's discipleship. I just want to invite you that on, uh, while I'm preaching each of these Sundays around this uh, the subject from the Gospels, I invite you also on uh, November 15 and 16 to, uh, to register, right? And to become uh, a participant, even if you've done it before, because I found that we all still have more freeing to be done within our lives, right? I invite you to November 15th, uh, 7 to 9 p.m. and November 16th, 9 to 4 and I know that, uh, you know, you, you may not say, well, I don't have the time, but I would like, I would challenge that. <laughs> and I would say, you don't have the time not to do this. And if you ask God, he'll show you how to make the proper arrangements for your family so that you can be a part of that. So I just lay that out there as clearly as I know how, because I really believe that God wants to do something amazing in your life. And he wants to further in your life what he has already begun. So please take note of that. And as you do, let's just step into this whole beautiful matter of of living free. Luke chapter 4 and Luke chapter 13 are the two of the verses that we're going to look at today. They're fascinating. They're stories in the life of Jesus that center around the ministry of Jesus Christ. So let's read the first. Are you ready? Is everybody here? You ready for this? All right, just give me some sign of life. All right, here we go. Incredibly important, beautiful word. Luke chapter 4. Then Jesus went down to Capernaum, the town in Galilee, And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed, astounded, overwhelmed greatly at his teaching. Because his words had authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice, Go away! What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet. Jesus said sternly, come out of him. And then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. And all the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. Chapter 13, verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. And then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. 
indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites, doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? When he said this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted and at, with all the wonderful things that he was doing. Amen. This Jesus. This Jesus. This Jesus goes to church. That's what was happening here. He goes to church. And, and we hear what he did. I, I, I was just struck by these examples. Because in both cases, Jesus is showing up at the synagogue. Even the word synagogue uh, talk, it, it kind of means the whole matter of gathering. The gathering of the people of God. You may not know this, but the synagogue arose as a gathering place, a meeting place, after the temple of God had been destroyed. And the people of God, as they were scattered all throughout, uh, you know, the, the civilized world at that time, driven from their land, they didn't have a temple. And so they began to, they began to develop these gathering places called synagogues. And instead of the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins being the central place in the synagogue, it was instead that the study of the scriptures became the center of the synagogue. And so there were the scribes and there were the Pharisees, right? There were the scribes who would write it down. There were the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who would then begin to explain what the scribes had written down. And the transmission of the scriptures happened for several hundred years. And this was still going on, even though a new temple had been built by the time of Jesus. There were still all of these scattered places, these synagogues where people gathered together to study God's word. Into these meeting places, into these places of worship, into these places of the word came Jesus. Jesus goes to church. Jesus showed up at church in the synagogue and Capernaum and other synagogues. And as he was present, something nearly always took place as far as we can tell. When Jesus arrived in this one particular place, just to tell the story briefly, there was a man who suddenly manifested a demon in him or a demon, demonic presence Many demons, I don't, you know, we'll talk about in a moment what might have been going on in that man. But here he is, all of a sudden, he yells out at Jesus. And Jesus immediately confronts this demonic evil presence within the man, sets the man free. And everybody goes, whoa, what is going on, right? Wouldn't you do the same? If there was manifested here, suddenly there was a demonic presence, it'd probably freak us all out, you know. But as it did then, there was just like, you know, this stunning confrontation. And there's the calm authority of Jesus. And then this man is set free and everyone marvels and people praise God. Already they'd been astounded at the teachings of Jesus who carried with an authority. And it wasn't just the authority of like how he spoke. Like he spoke with an authoritative voice. 
It was more like the authority and the confidence with, with which he spoke. And it was accompanied by signs and wonders that backed up his word in such a powerful way. And then there's this second event. He shows up at another synagogue. There's a woman who was bent over for 18 years, it says. And Jesus moved in his compassion. Whereas in the first, we have mainly this picture of authority. In the second synagogue reading that we're doing today, there is this compassion that is leading the way for his authority. And he sets this woman free. And she praises God. And everybody around praises, except the ruler of the synagogue, except the pastor. What in the world is going on with him? Again, simply to say that when Jesus comes to church, Jesus does what Jesus does. Now, I want to tell you, I can present to you another Jesus. I can present to you a Jesus that just leaves you comfortably in all of your dysfunction, in all of our brokenness, that leaves us locked in to our fears, our anxieties, our angers, that leaves us locked in to our wounds, that leaves us hopeless. I get, and, you know, and everybody can still leave here and say, man, that was just a wonderful sermon about Jesus. Isn't he awesome? And they leave into their lives. We go out the door and we still live in bondage. We still live defeated. We still live hopeless. How many times that has happened? God forbid that we would present a Jesus who is okay with you just being a broken, unloved mess when in fact the Jesus that is presented in the gospel is the one who loves you without fail. He is the Jesus who can touch the most broken place within your life. He is light for your darkness. He is hope for your despair. He is a future for you. He is one who does not leave you as you are, but one who knows how to bring you into his created intention so that your life can overflow with joy by the presence of the Holy Spirit within you. I believe in this Jesus. Do you believe in this Jesus? We need this Jesus. We don't need some other watered-down rendition of him. We need the Jesus who comes and does something with our lives. I want to tell you this Jesus is present in his word, in these stories, and here this morning, this very Jesus. In fact, Jesus is just simply doing what Jesus does. You know, after the man was uh, delivered in the synagogue in chapter 4 in our first reading, it says in verse 40, at sunset, The people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. And laying his hands on each one of them, he healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. At daybreak, Jesus went out to a, a lonely, a solitary place. No doubt, as Jesus' practice was, to pray with the Father. They tried to find him. They finally did. They encouraged him to come back. Don't leave us. He says, no, I got to go out to the many villages around and tell this good news about the kingdom of God, right? And before that event of the man 
before he was delivered, Jesus had already entered to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, and he opened up the scroll. Remember, it was the gathering was largely for the reading and interpretation of the scriptures. He opened up the scroll of Isaiah, and he read from Isaiah 61, where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has sent me, he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled the scroll back up, which is paramount to saying he closed the book. And he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing of it. Whew. That's, that would have been like. And that, like, caused a real stir. <laughs> like, here, this is like, you knew somebody was present that wasn't just like any ordinary rabbi. This Jesus is present. Jesus goes to church and something happens. This liberating Jesus. I, I just want to let look at this. This liberating Jesus. He's a game changer. Can you imagine the narrative? How the narrative, the life story of the man and the woman, are changed. Uh, how 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 did this ever? How did this? What was the story on this man? Right. The scriptures don't make us clear. Had would, did he just show up on this particular synagogue, uh, this particular Sabbath to the synagogue, or was he a Regular member of the synagogue. Did, had he always come? One gets the sense that he was just there. As a part of the community of the synagogue. He had stuff going on inside of him. Maybe that nobody knew about. People might have noticed some things about him. Going, hmm, there's something not quite right. But you know, that's just the way. Uh, I was going to pull out a name. You know, like George or Sam. But your name might be George or Sam. And so I don't want to implicate you here, right? But, you know, that's just the way he is, you know. And everybody just kind of learned to live with it. Maybe it was hidden really good. He could have been wealthy. He could have been poor. He could have been functional or very dysfunctional. He could have been uh, privileged or underprivileged. It just, however, this man, he shows up. And I just kind of think, how had he learned? How had this so developed in his life? Where did it come from? What wound was in his life that gave opportunity for, for the demons to actually so become a part of his life that, that he was actually possessed, right? We don't know the full story. All we know is this, that one day when Jesus showed up, <laughs> something started coming out of his mouth. I'm sure he was not sure. Oh, my goodness, why can't I shut my mouth, right? The demonic presence began to cry out. There's a little word in the Greek language in, in, by, in, in which the story is written. A little two-letter word at the very beginning of the sentence. And it's really translated, you know, in NIV by the words go away. But it's really there's this whole, this, this word is just like, like, how else can we say it? Kind of a word of disgust. It's kind of a filthy disgust for Jesus. That's what's coming out. And it's kind of like, ah! And there's so much anger in it that you get the sense that he is so furious that this demonic darkness with him is so furious that it can hardly put its words together. What, what to us and to you? It's just, like, it's just like a weird, odd, you know, kind of spilling out of words of anger. And, and then it says, Jesus, the Nazarene, like real diminutive, like diminishing uh, a sense about it. Like, 
you know, who are you? you? Like, you're from a nobody town named Nazareth. What do you have to do with us? Right? Just like spills out in Jesus, man. Jesus in that moment. Just like you can just feel the fury in Jesus rising up. And he just says, shut up. Muzzle your mouth. Right? I mean, seriously. I mean, this is like really short exchange. But with such authority. And and, then Jesus says, come out of him. And the, the demons came out of the man as they threw the man to the ground. But the man was uninjured. Whew. Crazy, huh? In those days, you know, it's called, he's called an impure spirit. Uh, in those days, um, the impure spirit, could, it kind of carried with it a contaminating spirit, right? Uh, some, you, you just look at, you know, when you recognize, you say, man, something's really not quite right here. There's some foreign influence, power going on, a real attempt to destroy this man's life. In fact, when it says he threw him down without injuring, it implies in a very, very real sense that that spirit has had the ability to injure the man. Right? Now, I just, very few times in my ministry have I actually seen, and I think it's partly because we live in this first world country, but, you know, the evil presence of Satan will... You know, he'll, he just, he's kind of, you know, chameleon. He kind of just kind of gets into whatever mode he needs to in any culture to be able to worm his way into our lives. And so in our culture, a lot of times we not, may not be so familiar with the demon possessed in the way that we normally would visualize it here. There was one occasion in which I did experience such a thing with a woman. She was... Um, a number of years ago, she was literally being assaulted, physically assaulted in her home by the demonic. She had wounds on her physical body from this. She came, she met with me, she, had, she came to Christ. And as we met together, it's just one of the few times this has ever happened. But for a fact, there were six different demons that were expelled from her. And she is so liberated. And to this day, she every now and then I hear from her that she's still praying for me, right? She's become one of my intercessors. So how cool is that, right? So, But she was absolutely set free. And that woman's life was so dynamically different. She was just a display of the joy of Jesus Christ. But that doesn't seem to happen very often. But I will tell you, there's a lot of deliverances, a lot of setting free that don't have to do with just simply being possessed, but but by being harassed, constantly harassed by the evil one. Constantly shut down, pummeled, ganged up on, ganged up on, beaten down. And when Jesus looks at that situation that is repetitive over and over again, many times he comes as the liberator. This is his desire, to set us free from that which constantly beats us down. Amen? And then there's this woman. I'm just curious about this woman. She's bent over. It doesn't say her age. You know, was she, you know, was she 48? Did she start being bent over when she was 30? 
You know, was she, was she 68 and she was started being bent over when she was 50? Was she young? Was she old? Was she middle-aged? Who was she? All we know is that she was bent over from, it says, a spirit of infirmity. Some believe that it was more like, it was more like uh, a, 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 an infirmity, a weakness in her back, perhaps, but that Satan had come. Not so much had he caused it, but he had come and he had just taken full advantage of that physical condition within her. Others believe it was the exact result of just Satan's work upon her life. Nonetheless, it just simply says that evil had, you know, had taken advantage. Satan had oppressed her, beaten her down, kept her like all kind of, you know, joy out of her life. She's just all bent over, right? And Jesus comes. It's a beautiful moment. Everybody knows her. Ah, oh, that's just that bent over woman. <laughs> She knows herself as that bent over woman. After all these years, of course, who are you? Oh, I'm the one who's bent over. But no, Jesus, it says, sees her. Oh, man, when Jesus, when you know Jesus is seeing you, this is amazing. And he calls her, and he says to her, woman, you're set free from your infirmity. And he goes over, and he lays his hands on her back. And she straightens up. You were set free. She straightens up. And what's the first thing? She just begins praising God. Amen. What a transformation. What a game changer. What does this have to do with us? I just want to ask you, what does this have to do with us? It's the same question that was coming from the, from the man's life, from the man's mouth in chapter 4. May we ask that same question. What does this have to do with us? What does it have to do with us? I mean, you know, here we are, sophisticated, 21st century America, Northwest, no doubt. You know, here, I mean, we know, we know. I mean, we're not like, you know, we're not like those other people who, who ha- believe those things. Well, that's all fine and good with the evil one that we don't. Because he is just going to continue his work anyway. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Jesus comes to set us free. Maybe maybe what Ignatius of Loyola said when he was writing about this, it was just like, it's just really, really powerful. When he says, um, I'll find it, I'll find it right here. Boom, 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 boom. He says this. In the years that I, Ignatius of Loyola, by the way, is, uh, you know, lived in the 16th century. And in his classic text or book called The Spiritual Exercises, he once delineated three ways that the enemy of, the hum- of human nature uh, likes to act. That evil presence will act like a spoiled child, making a person act childishly or selfishly or refusing to take no for an answer. And I before have seen, you know, grown men like 50 40, 50 years old, act like a six-year-old when they didn't get their own way, right? He just says that's one of the ways that he's seen. Another way, he says, uh, I've I've seen uh, this uh, enemy act like a false lover, tempting the person to conceal um, bad motives or, or, or enter into sinful behaviors by simply whispering and saying, come on, come this way. This is the way you can really find meaning. This is the way, this is what you need, you know, kind of inviting us into indulgence. Or I've seen the enemy, he says, act like an army commander, attacking a person at his or her weakest point. 
It says in Scripture this. Jesus Christ has not only come for the forgiveness of our sins, but when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, it says that he, that he stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. In other words, Jesus has overcome the evil one. Amen? It says in John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, the, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. I'm so thankful for the work of Jesus. Perhaps you can feel even at this moment, people do this. I think this is how the enemy works, even if we're not possessed. So I would say not very many of us are possessed, right? Maybe nobody here. But we're harassed by the evil one. And you can tell the harassment even now. In the speaking of the truth about Jesus Christ, there's something rising up within you that just resists, that is just like, no, no, no. I'm just not going to go for that. I'm not going to go for this Jesus thing. Or there's something within you that says, uh, no, no to Jesus about some area of brokenness within your life, right? Where there's this brokenness, but there's inside, is just this rising up and resisting, just much like that demon did. This is like the MO of where the evil one works. Anything to get you to choose any other option other than Jesus. Perhaps you're like the woman bent over. Man, God knows I've been bent over so many times. (laughs) Sometimes it's not a physical thing, but most of the times it's this. We're bent over into ourselves. We're just bent over into ourselves. We're self-absorbed. We feel victimized. It's all about how terrible everything is, and we're all just kind of bent into ourselves, and we actually live this kind of life. Or we're bent over into other people. We live under the curse of other people, under the words of other people. We live under, under uh, you know, kind of the comparison syndrome where we are always comparing with others. We're always trying to uh, earn the approval of other people, and we always wonder what other people are thinking. So we're kind of bent over into that, how conditioned our hearts are in that way. Obviously, it's a na- off, often just a natural condition of our fallenness. And then sometimes we're just bent over into circumstances, how hard circumstances are, filled with anxiety and angst about the future and regret about the past and all of this. We're just bent over. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus comes and he sees us in our bentness and he calls us and he lays his hands on us and he says, you are free from your infirmity And he longs to see us straighten up and begin to live a praising life toward God who sets us free. Amen? Thank you, God, for being this way. In the communion today, when we come to the table of the Lord to receive the sacrament, there is this Jesus. There is this Jesus. I know that you feel, don't you wish that everything would happen instantly? How many, how many want instant healing? I want instant deliverance. I don't have to go through this anymore. 
I found in my life that while there's some instant breakthroughs, the true work of restoration happens over a longer period of time. But stay present. Stay, stay in the relationship, right? Many times when we're longing for breakthroughs, though, too, we just like, if nothing happens, we just jet out. Or we, or we just like, ah, uh, we don't know how to settle, how to stay. Look, Jesus showed up to church. I want to say to you, show up to church. Jesus is showing up. Jesus is doing stuff, right? Don't make this church one of the things that you do every now and then when it's not something else going on. Show up. Show up at these times, right? Show up at the Living Free uh, weekend. Let God do something. Set before it like falling rain. So in time, you will begin to see, oh my goodness, God has done something. And one day, you'll wake up and notice that the leaves are green and that the winter has passed. Amen? Because God is at work.